Well, uh, starting today, we're going to be uh, taking just three weeks uh, in this letter to 1 Peter. Normally, we go through a book of a Bible and we do it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, that's our kind of normal diet, really, here at Christchurch Hillsfield. And we do that uh, because we want to submit ourselves to God speaking through his word and by his spirit. And we're going to be doing that again starting in October. We're going to be back into Matthew's gospel. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11 and chapter 12 for a a number of weeks. And we're going to be looking at that in the title of that series we called The Real Jesus. Lots to look forward to. But now, just three weeks, doing something slightly different. What we're going to do is we're going to pan out a little bit, if you like. Take the bigger picture uh, of this letter. And from a broader perspective, I hope that we will see, hence why we've done the kind of bookends, the chapter 1, chapter 5, we will hopefully see that as we look into 1 Peter, the life that the Christians are living here is very, very similar to the context that we find ourselves here in London, here in this country uh, today. Hopefully we'll see why later. And therefore what I hope and pray is that as we come to these three weeks, it teaches us, uh, well really, some helpful principles how to live our lives here today in London. The reason we uh, we had the final chapter read just now, do cast your eyes down to it, you'll see why this letter was written. In chapter 5, Peter is calling the Christians receiving this letter to, and multiple times he says it, stand firm, stand fast, be steadfast, be strong. All of these very strong, stick with it kind of phrases. Uh, He recognises, Peter recognises the struggle that they're facing as Christians. But despite all of that, he says, stand firm. And that is why... I've called this series, this short three-week series, Stand Firm. Hopefully we'll see what that looks like. Hopefully see why and how we can stand firm and with what help we need to stand firm as well. Now the idea is that these three talks at the beginning of this academic year, we pray that they will provide, if you like, a a bit of a, a kind of a biblical encouragement, a bit of direction for us for the year ahead together in ministry as a church. But hopefully, as you'll see next Sunday, as we gather back after our lunch, as we come in here and we kind of, kind of look forward to the next number of years together in ministry, well, hopefully this will give us some kind of biblical foundations for why we want to do what we want to do going forwards from 10 to 15 years old as a church. So quickly, what to expect over the next three weeks. Here's, here's kind of where we're going over these three sessions. Firstly, this week, we're going to be taking ourselves back into chapter one, and we're going to see that we need to stand firm, uh, looking at our identity as elect exiles. Principally, we're going to be looking at that privileged identity. Knowing who we are will help us stand firm. Next week, we're going to be looking at this, stand firm as God's holy people, focusing our time in chapter two. And there we're going to see a, a really understanding our, our distinctive purpose together as a church, enabling us to stand firm. And then the last week we'll be stand firm prepared, looking at chapters 3 and 4 uh, mainly there. Understanding our joyful responsibility in standing firm. Standing firm, sharing our hope in Christ. Standing firm to suffer, being prepared to suffer for Christ, which is a major thing without this letter. And standing firm... To love in the light of Christ coming. So much to come. Uh, but let's get our heads and our hearts into our passage today. We're going to be looking, as I said, at our, at our identity, essentially. 
Uh, knowing who we are is really important, isn't it? Knowing our identity is so important. I've recently been watching uh, a TV series, someone recommended it here to me, um, uh, a TV series about Manchester City football team. It's kind of one of those fly-on-the-wall documentaries. It's on Amazon Prime if anyone wants it. It's really great. And I'm a bit of a football kind of guy, and I, I'm really enjoying it. It's called All or Nothing, okay? And uh, cameras are allowed, you know, dressing rooms, in their cars, at homes, you know, everywhere. On the training pitches, it is a really, really great series. And they followed the whole team through for a whole year, through their record-breaking season as they won. I see some of you are glazing over already. This is, a, this is an illustration. It's not about football, okay? It's just about... An il- okay, just work with me, okay, for a second. But someone even who doesn't like football recommended it to me, I think. And I can see why. It's fascinating. You get this Premier League football team, and it's managed. You see how they're motivated to keep going, even when things are really tough. Now, I know you're thinking, like, Premier League footballers don't have it tough. But, you know, there are some tough things that they go through. And Pep Guardiola, who I think is a genius, he's the manager, okay? Um, He is forever, forever reminding these players who they are individually. And he sort of gets down, bends down. I'm not going to do it, but he sort of bends down. He's showing them who they are individually and corporately. It's even on their kit, they are citizens, as in they're citizens, but it's spelt with Manchester City kind of way. They're reminded daily of their identity. And it helps them in their thinking. It refines their thinking. It helps them prioritise and stand firm as Manchester City, despite everyone else wanting them to fail. And that is why Peter begins his letter, as he does... Peter's writing to this collection of churches in what we now know as East Turkey. You can see that if you cast down chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see that list there. But he's reminding them right at the beginning of, of who he is as well as who as they are. Peter, well, he's the apostle of Jesus Christ. That is, he's appointed, he's empowered to be a herald of God and his word. He's speaking for God. And therefore, he's worth listening to. But these Christians are facing difficulty and opposition and they need to know who they are to listen to if they're to stand firm amidst opposition and why they are to listen to that person. If you think about it for a moment, you know, if you're in a minority and everyone's pressing around you and against you, if you're going to stand firm, you have to be absolutely sure, don't you? Is it worth it to stand firm? You can only make that call to stand firm when you're absolutely sure of your, who you are, your identity. And throughout this letter, Paul calls the Christians to stand firm, even despite the opposition, the persecution they're facing. And he acknowledges, and in some ways he gives dignity and purpose to their suffering. And so our first point, if you look on your sheets, he's saying stand firm as suffering persecuted Christians. This theme goes throughout the letter. Have a look down if you get one. Chapter 1, verse 6, you'll see it there. You get a little bit of a taste of what it's like for these Christians living as they do in that time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Similarly, if you to go over to chapter 2, verse 20, we see there suffering is, is kind of 
lived out in their lives. It's mentioned there. Chapter 3, halfway through. Chapter 4, halfway through. The second half of each of those chapters is really what it's, what it's like to live as a Christian in that time. It's, it's suffering. It's hard. There's opposition if they're faithfully living for Christ. In first century East Turkey, Christians were a persecuted minority. And that was a daily reality. But you'll see as you go through the letter, you may have noticed just even in these two chapters, there's no bloodshed. There's no mention of death. Now throughout history and throughout the world today, Christians face terrible, terrible trials. Many face death, many face imprisonment, beating, loss of houses, loss of jobs. I'll give you one, I could give you a thousand examples. But in North Korea right now, it's estimated there is about 70 to 100,000 Christians imprisoned in brutal labour camps. Many of them die of starvation. I could give you just an endless list. In a world that likes to claim that it's becoming more and more tolerant, Christians are perhaps suffering more than ever before. But what we see in, in 1 Peter... And what we experience as Christians in in this country today, it's not at that level, is it? In the news uh, this week, I don't know if you saw a a bunch of students from Goldsmith University in London. um, they, They suggested that anyone, especially Christians, they noted, who didn't agree with their views on, for example, human sexuality, should be sent to gulags. That's right. That was in the news this week. Now, if you know what gulags are, historically they're prison kind of labour camps to be disciplined people and to re-educate people in very brutal ways. Tens of hundreds of thousands of people died in the gulags in northern Siberia. And that's what they're suggesting for Christians today who don't toe the line of their liberal thinking. Now thankfully their suggestion wasn't taken up, but please note that those kind of voices will only get louder. Now, we mustn't mope around and feel sorry for ourselves playing the victim. We should be very, very thankful that as Christians today, we have the freedom even to meet here right now. We should be very thankful that we live in a country that, with a Christian heritage, with good law that upholds freedoms of speech and religious expression for all. We should be very, very thankful for those things. But we must not also be naive Things are getting harder. Chapter 1 verse 6 uh, reads that Christians were suffering, in all gr- suffering grief in all kinds of trials. Literally that, that word in the original there is multicoloured trials. It's a nice little phrase. to show many different ways. But not bloodshed. Not imprisonment. It's more kind of like low level hostility towards them. The kind of hostility to the Christian faith that every single one of us, I'm sure, will have felt at some time if you've dared to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example. Yeah, let's say tomorrow you go back to work or wherever you are and uh, you know, someone says, oh, how was your weekend? And you dare to just throw in, yeah, I went to church. And it was great-ish. Yeah. So say uh, something positive about church. It's an important part of your weekend. Well, now your friends and colleagues would respond. I know some of you have felt that kind of low-level hostility of being mocked on occasions. 
Sometimes not invited out with uh, colleagues and friends because you're considered a spoil sport. Just because you don't drink like they do, maybe. Or speak as they do about others in the office. I know some of you here have lost, even, uh, lost out on promotions because you haven't joined in with the kind of work ethics of some of your colleagues. I know that some of you, some of you mums, haven't been invited out with other mums for coffee or those kind of drinks uh, because you've dared. Just, just, you've just mentioned about your Christian faith just once. Oh, that's just meant you've not received the invite. I hope you realise that almost every single one of those kids out there will be mocked relentlessly in the playground for their faith. Don't be naive about that. It is brutal. And what they face is probably ten times worse than than you ever faced. Now, just because they may go to church occasionally and someone finds out Of course we want to protect them, we love them dearly. And we want to protect ourselves because it hurts. Now the danger for most of us though is that we probably just want to blend in. Keep quiet, compromise. I saw in news a few weeks ago, you know, yet another street preacher gets arrested for quoting the Bible in public. And in some ways many of us will kind of publicly bow our heads at that and disassociate ourselves. Internally, we may be outraged, but do we ever dare to articulate that? Maybe not the methods that we may use, but that a person in this country dared to say a verse of the Bible in public that is now an arrestable offence and is being upheld. The pressure is on. Now, you see, historically, being a Christian was a norm in this country. In fact, you know, a lot of the politicians will hark back to the great days of uh, when Christians were respected and even admired. The ethics and the morality of the Christian faith were the basis of our law and our society. And so many in our culture kind of look back and, uh, and, and revere that, but not anymore. Things have changed. And we should be very thankful that they're changing slowly. And we must not have some kind of pathetic persecution complex. That's an incredibly ugly trait. But what Peter says here is we need to stand firm. And as we see, this is far from being passive and trying to blend in. And being a Christian today in London, living out your faith and obedience to Christ, let's just be honest, it will will bring you into some kind of conflict. Into, as he says here in verse one, chapter 1, verse 6, multicolored trials. And the question is, I guess, is are you ready to stand firm? Are you ready to stand firm as suffering, persecuted Christians? Secondly, we see um, Peter calls uh, the Christians to stand firm, understanding firstly their privileged identity, but now... Um, as scattered, elect, exiled Christians. Let's turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. You'll see there, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who? Who's he writing to? To God's elect exiles, scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 
Now we see that. Let's just run through some of those titles that he's used. Firstly, the letters addressed to God's elect exiles. They're firstly described as elect. Peter is affirming there a teaching that goes throughout the whole of the, the Bible that each of us are firstly chosen by God. Yes, of course, uh, uh, all of us here as Christians today will have decided at some point to follow Jesus Christ, to give our lives to him as our Lord and our Saviour. And that decision is what the Bible calls repentance and faith. You can see Jesus speaking about it in, for example, Mark 1, verse 15. But God in his love, in his immense kindness, has poured out his love and chosen you and worked in you even before you even knew him. God wonderfully works in the hearts of people. He softens hearts. He works in each of us before, in and through and over all of our decisions. And, and what Peter is doing here is he's offering that as a great comfort. It should be joyful, our response to that great teaching. Now, if you find that kind of teaching really difficult, I understand. I'm not going to labour the point here. Some of us will, some of us won't. But please don't let what we call the doctrine of election kind of cause you to shut down at this point and go, oh, I don't want to hear that. No, no more, please. No, Peter doesn't open this letter by calling the people the elect here. Looking for some kind of debate here, some theological debate. If you're thinking that and you're kind of going down that route in your head and your heart, then you've missed the point entirely. They are scattered exiles and to know that they are elect, that is to know that they are loved and that they are chosen by God, is essentially the greatest comfort that Peter can offer these people right now as they're facing these multicoloured trials. See, however lonely they feel, they can rest knowing that God has them, that he's chosen them, that he loves them. I wonder, do you ever walk into your workplace or you know, amongst a group of friends, you've gone out for a drink or something like that, or you go to the gym and you walk in and you go, wow, am I the only one? Do you ever feel kind of alone in that? The only Christian around? Let's just be honest. The Christians, we are a tiny now minority of the population. There will be times when you feel utterly alone. And Peter's point here is, know who you are. You're elect. You're loved and chosen by the creator, all-powerful God. You're not alone. More than that, he says, you are elect exiles. Now, the phrase exiles, is, it, again, it, it's drawing people's hearts and minds back to now some, somewhere in the Old Testament because there God's people were exiled from the land out and in, down into Babylon. They're recalling books like you know, Daniel and so on. Their, their minds and their hearts are going back there. There, where in the Old Testament, where God's people under the rule of the Babylonian Empire were, were drawn and taken away. Some of them were deported um, southeast into Babylon. The point is, they weren't at home. The exiles in the Old Testament belonged elsewhere, and Peter is showing the Christians that he's writing to here, and he's showing us now through the Word of God that we are not at home. 
Our earthly home now is not our true home. Or as one great scholar said, we're not home home. More than that, they belong under a different rule, under a different king. Because we belong under the King Jesus. They're exiles. Their, their, their home is not their earthly physical one, but an eternal spiritual one ruled by our great King and Saviour. And his name is Jesus. Again, think about work. Think about amongst your friends. Do you sometimes feel that you're kind of, you don't belong kind of there? Monday to Friday as you walk into work or when you meet friends or do the school run, it's very easy, isn't it, to feel, oh, I don't quite belong. I'm not at home here. And then feel quite alone. Oh, you come to church on a Sunday and, you know, you feel supported and encouraged to live out your faith. But the majority of the week, we're out there, aren't we? We're scattered, if you like, not gathered here. Out there, we are exiles in a foreign land with foreign gods. And so come Thursday, apparently it's like the worst day of the week, isn't it, Thursday? But, you know, you get to Thursday, you're a bit exhausted, your boss has demanded that you stay a little bit later. You're consumed with work. You're, you're tired. Deadlines are there. Bills, the mundane drag of daily life. It's all getting on top of you. And you suddenly get to the end of the week and you just feel a million miles from God. Maybe that's just me. There's a few nods. God can so quickly feel distant, can't he? Perhaps you may even feel that he's forgotten you. Stand firm. As scattered, that's the reality of where you are. Elect, chosen and loved, exiles. Peter isn't saying knowing who you are will ever stop you feeling lonely. It won't stop work being a drag at at times. But knowing who you are will give you a perspective and give you a purpose. Because you are someone Even if everyone else around you kind of looks down at you and thinks you're no one and nothing. No, you are someone. You're a scattered, elect exile if you're a Christian here today. So when you're exhausted, think about it. Scattered, elect exile. When you feel lonely, think about it. Scattered, elect exile. You're chosen by God. You're loved by God. Heading home to eternal glory. When you feel that, you know, you, you know, you stutter and you're not totally sure what to say to a friend. They kind of ask you a little bit about your Christian faith or you dare to speak about Jesus with them. Uh, and you're not sure what to say. Just remember, scattered, elect, exile. You're chosen and loved by God. And you serve your Lord and Saviour. And he will give you everything you need. <coughs> Look at verse 2 for a second with me, if you can. Christians, it says there, have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You see... It is very, very good and helpful to, for us to remember that God, even from the beginning of, the, of time, has always planned to bring the good news of Jesus to the world through people like us. That is, who are facing multicolored trials, who are suffering and facing opposition, however low level or however high level. God's plan has always been to bring the gospel of Christ to bear in his world through people like you and me. So when things aren't easy, when you struggle to speak about Jesus, when you just want to blend in and compromise, realise that the norm for the Christian is not a path of ease. 
We should expect a certain degree of conflict with our culture, distance from it, because we serve a different king and we have different homes. Remember, stand firm as scattered elect exiles. Lastly, third point, and more briefly, stand firm as sanctified, obedient and sprinkled Christians. Look at verse 2 with me now, the whole way through. Who have, um, we see Christians are those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. His blood. We stand firm as Christians, knowing who we are, as definitively transformed by God, and given, his glorious, given a glorious purpose by God. And notice the work of God, Father, Son and Spirit is there also not only to save us, but also we see to help us stand day by day. Look at each phrase. Firstly, sanctified by the Spirit, meaning that we have been set apart made holy by the Spirit working in our hearts, he does so as a gift from the Lord Jesus through his word. A work that definitively transformed us when we put our trust in Jesus, but a work that keeps transforming us day by day. See, standing firm will mean being different from the world around us, not purposely strange or odd, but having different values having different morals, following God through his word. It means being set apart or holy, literally, which will bring inevitable clashes with friends and in our culture. Be ready for that. But know also who is there to help you stand firm. You may feel completely alone as you go out for friends with friends for a drink after work and it gets to the third round and you go, I'll have a Diet Coke. Know that the Spirit is there, fighting with you. Stand firm. Sadly, we see so many churches in this country, don't we, uh, doing the complete opposite to this. They do everything they can to fit in with the culture, fearful of being different, and so they compromise the gospel. They morally try to blend in. They do so out of fear of man, failing to remember and trust that the Spirit of God has promised to help them. The sad reality is that churches like that are just dying all around us, numerically and financially. Why? Because they have nothing distinct to offer, do they? And if you don't feel you belong, if everywhere you go you feel a little out of place, well, as a Christian, good, well done, that's great. That's how it should be. We're different because we have the Spirit in our hearts, but also because we have a job to do. More of that next week as we see that more corporately. But every Christian here is called as an elect exile to obey the king who has saved them for eternal heaven. That is to stand firm. We see here is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Standing as children of the promise we've just been singing. Fixing our eyes on him. Which will mean obeying him in our, all of our lives. Every area. Speaking of him. This, of course, will be enabled by his spirit, but we have the joy and privilege to serve our Lord and Saviour, being obedient to Jesus Christ as we stand firm for him before we go home to him. 
And lastly, we see stand for him, sprinkled with his blood. It's an extraordinary phrase, isn't it? We'll learn more about that as we go through the book of Hebrews uh, this year. But if any of us have ever felt for a moment that we are in any way impressive or to be commended for being a Christian, I want you to think again, very quickly. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, firstly, I hope you feel hugely welcomed. I hope you can have a good chat with us and enjoy some refreshments after us. But if any moment you've ever thought, and you looked at these Christians and you thought, they're a bit odd, they're a bit arrogant, you might be right in the odd bit, but you should never be right in the arrogant bit. That's the last thing a Christian should be. A Christian is someone who has come to God and humbly acknowledged that they have nothing and that they can do nothing in order to be with God for eternity in heaven. A Christian is someone who simply comes to God and says, recognise that they have nothing, that Jesus has everything for them, and Jesus has lived a life, a perfect life that they couldn't live, that he's died on a cross, shedding his blood... To take all the justice that our rebellion against God deserves. And in so doing, he blazes, as he rises from the dead, he blazes a path to new life with God. Now for eternity. To put it another way, a Christian is someone who has been sprinkled, as we see here, with the eternal life-saving blood of Jesus. A Christian is someone who ought to be humble and full of praise of God. Who has done everything to save us for heaven. Just look at verse 3. Peter just can't help himself. He's spoken about being sprinkled with his blood. And he says grace and peace be yours in abundance. And then he goes on. He goes on absolutely for ages. Just praises to God for all that he's done. Offering new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends we are not promised a road to glory that will be paved with comfort. As we see later on in chapter 1. The road of Christ is one Suffering now, glory to follow. We have a job to do right now, and in that we must stand firm. Knowing who we are, what we're about, knowing our privileged identity in Christ, that will be utterly critical. So stand firm. In spite of the inevitable hostility, keep following Jesus. Stand firm, for, of course, for your own sake. Because it's the best way to live and to love, but also for the sake of Christ in loyalty to him. Stand firm for the sake of the world who needs to hear about the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. My friends, let's stand firm. Let's pray that that is so. Let's pray.